Braver Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Park Ravery Group, we invite you to visit parkravery.com. Today, I'm joined by our change management lead, Kathy Toll, and we are speaking with one of the newest additions to our firm, Carrie Habel. With over 25 years of experience working with some of the most well-known brands and retailers, Carrie has held leadership roles in the field as well as corporate. Much of Carrie's most recent work experience has been focused on change management, and she adds that fantastic experience to our strong change management practice. Good afternoon, ladies. Thank you for joining me today. So, Carrie, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, um, first of all, thanks for inviting me. I, like I mentioned uh, before earlier, I prefer to be the interviewer, not the interviewee, <laughs> but I do appreciate the opportunity. Um, I actually have spent most of my life in Minneapolis. This is my first year in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona, and I think it was the the hottest summer on record, so it was a good initiation for me, I think, and I'll still take the sun over the below zero temps any day. I am a mom of two strong, independent, incredibly smart adult daughters, so I think that makes me like a seasoned mom, maybe. And um, from a career standpoint, I have spent most of my life actually in retail. I think my first retail job was 15. I think I wanted to be, I wanted to be behind the jewelry counter at Target. Oh yeah. Um, that was like my, my favorite spot to like play. And so um, I started at actually at the jewelry counter um, at Target when I was 15. So working for a really great retailer and they say when you get, um, you know, retail in your blood, it never leaves. So I really have been in retail ever since. And then I made a, so see, after those first couple of years at Target, I then went into cosmetics. So I took kind of a bold move, went into cosmetics. Um, to work behind the Estee Lauder counter, and I did that while I was in college, and I think I was there for like 13 or 14 years, um, and I worked with a lot of a lot of different retailers and in a variety of different roles. So I was a beauty advisor, you know, makeup artist, a counter manager, um, an account coordinator, mostly with uh, Dayton Hudson. Um, I took a little stint as a spa director when we tried out some spas there for a little bit. And uh, then I was a planner for a very short time. I think that was to expose my lack of Excel um, you know, skills. <laughs> <laughs> That's really how we planned back then is just using Excel um, and our gut. Um, and then I went into an account executive role and I was supporting, I was the main lead for Dayton Hudson again, but I also um, supported Macy's and Bloomingdale's, Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, Saks, and Herbergers. I think that was all of them. So I had a great opportunity to work with all of those fantastic retailers wow, and yeah. work with the buying office. And, um, you know, I was also leading the counter teams and I think it was like 42 stores at one point. So, um, lots of hands and lots of pots, let's say. 
And then I actually moved to specialty retail um, after Estee Lauder and I joined limited brands. And there I held a variety of different positions, a lot of different, you know, different roles. I was always saying yes to everything. So I was in both field and home office roles. And I was leading, you know, field teams. I led the learning and development and customer experience team for Bath and Body Works. Um, I was in a market intensification program to kind of redefine the business at BBW. And it's also where I kind of tapped into my, you know, true change management, I would say. It wasn't a change, it wasn't called a change management role, but um, Les Wexner, who was the founder, uh, wanted an operating system that was really consistent for all of the brands. And at the time, it was Limited, Express, Bath and Body Works, and Victoria's Secret. He's had a few back and forth and in and out since then, but what that really meant for us was that they wanted a consistent, exceptional experience for the internal and the external customer. Um, so what that meant was like guiding principles were the same and um, guidelines and coaching models and hiring practices and, you know, how they analyze the business and um, workforce management, merchandise flow. I mean, it was just about everything. Yeah. And he wanted it to be consistent, you know, between all four brands. This is a pretty big challenge. And I was on a team of 12 um, to help to introduce this playbook, so to speak, to all the brands. So you can probably imagine like taking four independent, you know, highly successful brands and saying, okay, guys, guess what? We're going to change how you work and, you know, what tools you use and how to hire. And by the way, this is your new scheduling tools. This is how you're going to schedule and how you lead your teams. And, you know, I, I think we had a tool suite of maybe, I don't even know, I'm going to say 25 to 35 tools for people to, to use. And so it was a whole, you know, a whole big change for everybody. Oh, absolutely. Um, so it was kind of crazy, but, you know, I was all in and really wanted to, you know, I was excited. I was all about change and um, was super excited because I was in the development of all of the operating system things. I got my first probably big reality check when I realized, gosh, you know what? A lot of other people don't really like change. <laughs> change is hard. <laughs> right. And uh, companies don't always like to be told what to do. So um, they didn't tell me that part. You know, it was like, oh, we've got this great thing. And, you know, we're going to we're going to be launching, you know, for a couple of years in, in stages, you know, all of these changes that were going to happen. But I just didn't realize that there'd be so much resistance. So so that role in particular gave me the experience and I guess all the challenges that I experienced during that time, you know, trying to influence leaders and you know, executives, um, it, all of those experience during that time really made me kind of a true, you know, change expert, we'll call it. And so that's a little bit about my, my background um, up till about the last six years where I've been really doing a lot of consultant work. So I worked with some companies like uh, DSW and Fleet Farm and Sally Beauty, then some work with pet people and a couple healthcare companies and some other things too. So worked a lot on different change initiatives. And, you know, I think you learn so much from so many different companies and leaders and people. And I'm just really thrilled now to be a part of um, Parker Avery. Well, we are thrilled to have you. Tell us how you were introduced to Parker Avery and, and kind of why you decided to join our firm. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it was because of Kathy. <laughs> oh, thank you, Kathy. Um, 
Well, you guys know that obviously retail is a small world, and I, I don't even know exactly how it how it exactly happened. But my name was passed along, I think, to Kathy to reach out and just see if I was interested in taking on um, a, a contract role as a consultant um, for a project with Lamb's End. And you know when you just kind of click with someone, and it's like this is my people. And that's how I felt when I had my conversation with Kathy. So I think it was like a year ago, right about right now. And we were on the phone, I think on, even on a Sunday night, and it was like a two-hour conversation. And what we realized real quick is that we had like this huge network of similar contacts. That, you know, Kathy and I both worked in the cosmetic industry. So, um, I think we were just, you know, like-minded in so many ways and knew so many people that it just felt like, gosh, this is going to be a great fit. And so I knew right at that that moment, I was like, this will, this will be a great project to be a part of and a, a great group of individuals to work with. And so after that conversation, I think it was like two days later maybe, and uh, we were writing up a contract and I was shipped off to Wisconsin to work on the, the Land's End project, leading the change management um, efforts for, they called it the DEFRA project or demand forecasting and replenishment. So. So, Kathy, I owe it to you. So thank you for introducing me to Parker Avery. Well, we are delighted to have you, Carrie. And your background, when I hear names like Dayton Hudson and Herbergers, it's been such a long time, and they were such iconic retailers back in the day. And as you mentioned, I grew up in cosmetics, and I wanted to work behind the makeup counter at Target, not necessarily the jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But very similar. So tell me a little bit, since you've joined the firm, what types of projects are you working on? What have you had a chance to get your arms around and start diving into here? Sure. Well, you know, not counting Land's End, because I do feel like I was sort of with the firm, you know, when I was with Land's End. It's really only been like a month, I think. And so for me, I'm just getting my arms wrapped around now uh, a project with T-Mobile, so we're just at the very beginning stages, like kind of phase one. And so it is a merchandise planning suite project. And so for me, it's just really been about learning a little bit about, you know, obviously Parker Avery first and all of the wonderful things that we do here and learning about uh, T-Mobile. So just trying to get acclimated to their brand. And I'm starting to write just a little bit of communication and starting to lay out the change management plan for the project. So... Not a ton of deliverables checked out, checked off yet. More of the discovery phase for me. Well, it's interesting because when we talk about limited brands and the complexity of moving across four different divisions, you you are perfectly suited to be working with an organization like T-Mobile. I'm curious if we can go back to the limited brands experience. You, you had mentioned that's when you were first exposed to people not loving change. Was, was there a specific wow moment that you realized that people weren't going to be as positive as you had thought? I think, I mean, there were lots of little moments, to be honest. <laughs> but I would say the, 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 the one that was most challenging for me was we did not have one of the senior vice presidents aligned and not really bought in to, you know, the reason why we were making these changes. And, you know, they were at the time having, I won't share which brand, but they were having really successful business at the time and had put a lot of things into place. And this person had been there for an extensive amount of, 
of time as well. So was really invested in how how they work and didn't feel the need to change. And so that one was probably most challenging because I was, you know, not in a an executive, you know, role at that time either. So I really had to influence up and um, spend a lot of time really trying to dig into um, not only, you know, I think my first initial approach, quite frankly, was just trying to share, well, these are all the benefits and, you know, isn't it going to be great that all these tools are available at your fingertips and, you know, we've got processes in place and you guys don't have to create and, and, you know, do anything yet. And that didn't work. It was like, I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Got the hand. And so it really became more about, okay, well, let's dive deeper into, you know, why you're feeling the way that you are. And so we got really vulnerable, I think, and um, got to the place where she had just said, you know, I help to develop the tools that we have in place, you know, here, we have a fantastic culture, and I'm fearful that by changing, we're going to lose all the things, you know, that we've established up to this point. And so it just really became a lot about acknowledging those feelings and being able to just kind of work through them and say, it's okay that you feel that way. And you know, this is the direction that we're heading. So we, we it's going to be critically important to have you on board. But, you know, let's talk through some of these things. And, and that that's kind of the way it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't one conversation, right. a lot right. of communication, a lot of involvement. And, and so that was probably the most challenging, but I will, I will say like, there was so much resistance that I just, I'm like, wait, I thought we were done with this now. <laughs> I thought we were done and we're still at this place and I thought everybody was on board. So it was really like it, it really was a true change management project. And I didn't, I didn't know that that's what I was signing up for, but it was really. Yes. Yeah. It's funny how those unfold for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm curious in the COVID world, you mentioned the word vulnerable and Parker Avery, we do a lot of work with retailers in the supply chain and merchandise and planning and um, lots of systems. We partner with different firms to implement systems and handle the process design and the change management. So when we talk about vulnerability in the past year, do you think there is an, a different appetite or openness to people being more vulnerable considering what we've lived through in the past, you know, 12, 18 months? I do think so. I think it's becoming the new norm in a way. I don't think it's still comfortable for people to be vulnerable, but I would say that it is, it is becoming easier to have conversations about that. But I do think that people are tired of it. (laughs) You know, they're tired of expressing like, gosh, this is hard. And, and I think we just have to really lean into that. But I do think this this past year, my goodness, like there's been a lot of lessons learned, but vulnerability for, for sure is one of them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been an interesting transition to find some people that tended to, or leaders that focus more on, it might be the process or the systems sort of get it, that it's like, oh my gosh, my people are really being impacted here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the load of cognitive stress and emotional and physical stress really takes its toll on people. And your best performers aren't always going to be performing at their top when we're going through things like this. Yeah, I think it's a really challenging time for leaders. But I mean, it's a challenging time for everyone. But I think it's also a challenging time for leaders because yep. 
you know, leaders are experiencing those same feelings mm-hmm. and, you know, having a little bit, it's like trauma that's happening on a daily basis. And so to be able to manage yourself first and then to be able to manage your team and to be strong and to be a sounding board. And I think situation, um, like situational leadership has really become crucial because everyone is experiencing personal change. So I mean, in such a significant way, but at different levels. So I think as a leader, knowing what people are going through personally and professionally and all those changes and everybody's at a different place in the change curve has been really taxing on leaders. Yes. Yeah. Knowledge what they've been going through for sure. Yep. That's a very good point. I saw a um, (laughs) article that was entitled how to lead when you're exhausted. (laughs) Boy, is that relevant at the end of the the year. That should, it was, that should be the motto of the of the spot, year. <laughs> yes, it was spot on because so many of us, I think, they're accustomed to being able to really operate in high stress environments. It's like, what's going on? Like, I have this mental fog, okay, this fatigue that's overcome me. And it it was reassuring to read the article and know that that there are many leaders going through this. Almost all leaders at this point. I'm curious, I didn't know you had two daughters, two grown daughters, which is oh, yes. amazing. Like, you look very young, Carrie, I will oh, tell you. I have a really um, big birthday coming up in a few weeks here. So uh, that happened, so Mark. <laughs> in the workplace, what, what type of advice have you given your daughters in being able to navigate our world that we know isn't perfect? We still have some inequities between the genders and such. What type of advice or guidance have you given them? Uh, well, honestly, I feel like they've given me more, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I think they, like, kids are so resilient. I It's just amazing to me, the, the advice, truly. We've had some really heart-to-heart conversations about what's been happening and having different points of view. I think the thing that we've talked about, I wouldn't say it's necessarily advice, because like I said, they've given me just just as much as I would ever give them, but... I think we've had a lot of conversations about really being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and really be able to see things from a different perspective. And I, you know, I think there's been, I think recognizing again, going back to the emotions, like recognizing that people may say things or do things that maybe didn't seem like they're, that was within their characteristics in the past, but because of the emotions and stress and, and just the world we live in right now, people are making different decisions and saying different things that might feel hurtful and things like that. And you can't take those things personally, but you can put yourself in a different perspective or try to put them, put yourself in their shoes. And whether that's personally or professionally, just really keep an open mind to what everybody else is going through. I think that's that's the conversations that we've had a lot. That's great advice. It is great advice. And it transcends not just personally, but into mm-hmm. the professional roles too. Mm-hmm. Because like we talked about before, this whole past year has clobbered everybody on every single different level. And you can't expect a leader just because they're in a leadership position to be above that, that mm-hmm. emotional trauma that we've all been through and continue to go yeah. through. Right. They, they have right. thoughts and feelings and, and, and will cry too. <laughs> And, and we all have to recognize that. As always, I am floored by the depth 
and character of the people that work for Parker Avery. We have such fantastic character. And Carrie, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. Um, another podcast I listened to that the host gives their guests, and not that you're a guest really anymore, but you're sort of a guest on this podcast, but you're part of the team. But what she what she does is gives the world two minutes of the of the speaker. If you could offer change management advice as companies continue their initiatives from 2020 and into the new year, into 2021, um, based on everything we've learned and experienced, you know, collectively and individually, what would that advice be? The world, I give you, Carrie Havel. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, actually, it's probably very similar to, you know, some of the things that we've just talked about. But I was listening to Brene Brown the other I day. I love her. I do, too. And, you know, I sometimes have to be in the right frame of mind, though, to listen to her because I know she's either going to say something that's going to be life-changing for me yes. or some kind of, like, huge aha or I'm going to cry, like yes. one or the other, <laughs> or both. But um, one of the things she was talking about, and this was a podcast from a while back. It wasn't even that that recent, but it was at the beginning of the pandemic. And what she was talking about was FFTs. Do either one of you know what an FFT is? This is just a Brene Brown acronym. Oh, gosh, I should know this FF. Ooh, flawed. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. All right. <laughs> it, it, um, it's what they call frickin' first time. So that's what she calls <laughs> FFTs. Of course, she uses a different F word, and I'm going to keep it PG, but she uses the, the R-rated word. But it's uh, frickin' first times. And, you know, she was talking about, again, at the beginning of the pandemic, but she's like, you know, we are going through so many firsts right now. And so, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic now. Hopefully we're towards the tail end. Let's cross our fingers. But right now, still, everything is feeling like it's a first. And, you know, we continue to think, okay, it's, this is, this is going to be normal now. And then it switches up on us. But, you know, when we think about we experienced, you know, for the first time putting on a mask, you know, walking mm-hmm. in or, you know, maybe in a, in a mask, you know, the first time we have maybe gone to work, um, you know, in the other room versus in a <laughs> um, you know, working side by side with a spouse, the like, kids are at home attending school and, you know, people, um, you know, attended their first Zoom call for work or a happy hour with friends or, you know, I know Kathy, you and I talked about this, but like, you know, holidays alone without family, mm-hmm. you know? all these different things have been firsts and, um, you know, we've had to do a lot of firsts and it's been really, really, really uncomfortable, but I think that the resilience has been amazing. And, you know, here we are, we're still plugging away. We're still adapting. We're still going to work. We're relearning. We're doing okay. And it, again, it's been really hard, but, um, what Brene had talked about was, um, to get through all of the firsts, one of the most important things to do is just like call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's a fricking first time we're doing this and um, you know, call it, say it is a first and then remind yourself that it's going to be uncomfortable and it's not always going to feel this way. And I think that was really important. Like it's going to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but yep. it's not always going to feel this way. And so then, um, you know, I, I have to remind myself of that all the time. Like it's not always going to feel this way. 
And then what we have to do, she mentions, is to, you know, recognize that and then, again, acknowledge the feelings and know that the feelings are normal. And so I would say, you know, that's really good advice is to name it and say it's not going to always, you know, feel this way, but the feeling is normal. And then for leaders, um, kind of on the same lines, like for me, I would say the best advice is to tap into those feelings of your team. And so when there is resistance to change, like lean in, you know, don't don't force change to just happen um, or just expect it to happen because it won't happen that way. Right. But lean in like to the discomfort and, you know, talk about it. And I think the the thing that, often people will do when they're not comfortable with change is they'll be silent. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse than silence because silence actually causes doubt. You know, when you're sitting there and you're waiting for somebody to call you or they haven't called and you're like, gosh, did I do something wrong? Like our, our minds go to a negative place. Mm-hmm. Just human. So, you know, just lean into the, you know, lean into the resistance and, and really make sure that you communicate. I think those would be, my pieces of advice, um, in part through Brene Brown, <laughs> I always use her as a as a uh, as a springboard. Yeah, yeah, and Perfect. it really it's so timely because we all, even as leaders, it's like you have to pause and go. You're human. There are, you know, there's been days where I'm like, I cannot believe I'm going to walk into this second bedroom again. And start Groundhog Day. (laughs) But I I think the point you made and Brene made was it will change. It's it's like just ride through it. Give it a couple of hours. Give it the acknowledgement it needs. It will pass. Right. Exactly. Well, and I just personally have used that phrase. um, It's not always going to feel this way when people are, you know, you know, sharing their feelings and, you know, not, not wanting to, you know, do the same thing again and again and again and go through that Groundhog's Day, just reminding everyone that it's not always going to feel this way. I think it's really important. Absolutely. All right, ladies, we're about the end of our time. Really enjoyed the conversation as usual. And we will talk to you again on another podcast. I think we're talking training strategies in a couple of weeks. Great. Good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. So that wraps up today's episode. We hope you found value in the content and in the discussion. If you have any questions and would like to reach out, please feel free to visit our website at parkeravery.com. We also invite you to join our conversation on LinkedIn. Just search for the Parker Avery Group.